Hello and welcome to Motorsports Tech Talk. And I'm your host, Brian, here with your co-host, Eric. How are you doing, Eric? Beautiful, as always. That's that's good. That's good. That's what I like to hear. Uh, how about you? Oh, you know, I'm just living the dream, living the dream, living the uh, the podcaster's dream. Isn't that code for, like, kill me? Probably. <laughs> but don't read too much into it. I won't. Okay. You're having a great time living your dreams. Yeah, well, it's it's a great time. Uh, this uh, this time, this episode, we're doing a little special kind of uh, kind of middle of the week episode where we're just gonna we just want to talk a little more tech, kind of as though it was some sort of motorsports tech talk podcast yeah. or something. I don't know who would listen to that. And it sounds a little weird to me, but I guess we can do it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I. I. I'm. I don't know if I would listen to it, but I'll at least talk about it. I can yeah. do that. It's, it's not motorsports yeah. tech listen. It's motorsports tech talk. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. I encourage everyone who downloads <laughs> this to talk along with us. Yes, yeah. Talk along. Uh, Especially talk if to you're yourself. in public. Yeah, yeah. It's... Just put your headphones in, your AirPods, whatever you have, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just start talking. Yeah, do it. It'll... Uh... It's, it's what we're trying to start here, you know, that's what we're yeah. trying to do. So, uh, so, you know, to today, I think our first topic, we wanted to talk kind of, uh, just kind of start talking about car setup, but very specifically, uh, camber. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so later, you know, maybe, maybe in our next, uh, tech specific, uh, little shindig, we'll talk about car setup uh, and that can go for a little while, but since we had mentioned uh, camber curves and gain or not with McPherson versus double A arm, and we also mentioned grid life, which I know a lot of their <laughs> customers who show up for the show will show up in their stance cars. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, we figured it, we would tell you, um, you know, the sort of the importances of camber. Um, and why you why you should care, right? If I yeah. told you you don't get as much camber gain with a McPherson setup, what does that mean to you? Does yeah. that mean anything? Like why 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 should you care? So yeah, and yeah, these are just things we've we've picked up picked up over the years, either in 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 the motorsports work you've done in the kind of on the side racing we also do, and on top of that, some of the design work we did and uh, uh, for. Uh, some of our previous jobs so yeah um you know we're not the the be all and end all experts on this but we picked up a thing or two so might as well share it uh yeah. as best we can yeah why not so so yeah i mean i guess first thing you were kind of talking about we were uh, last week we were or last episode we were talking about uh camber curves so yeah well i i guess let, let's uh go into a little bit of uh what that looks like on the car. Okay. And describe the curves a little bit and then describe the situation. And then we'll put two and two together and show what we want and why. Right? Yeah. So, uh, a McPherson setup, uh, or a strut style suspension, um, has some sort of lower, I don't want to call it a lower control arm because you can use individual links. Um, 
but the lower end of the knuckle is constrained. Mm-hmm. Um, in the front of the car, which is what we were talking about with the Supra, you'll have your tie rod, you know, coming from the steering rack. Yep. And then the upper end, <clears throat> excuse me, of the knuckle is supported with the strut. Yes. Um, so dynamically, um, if you pretend you're looking at your suspension from either the back or the front of the car, right? You have these links, um, which pivot about the car. So the, the unibody and the car itself is going to be our ground plane. Um, and if we had two parallel, equally spaced links, mm-hmm. um, and then an upright that connected them, and this is our upper and lower control arm in this case. Um, well, when they're equal length, um, that upright is going to remain at the angle it's at through the whole travel, mm-hmm. right? Because each link moves the same distance through its arc. Yep. Right? And we move to double A arm suspensions which typically will have a longer lower link and a shorter upper link. Yeah. So if you think about um, how that would work if you were just holding something, you know, maybe with a couple pieces of string, you're pulling, if your upper link uh, on the top is shorter, you're pulling that in more. It can't travel as far. Mm-hmm. So it gets pulled closer to your ground or the, the chassis in this case. Um which creates, you know, uh, camber. You know, it inclines that knuckle mm-hmm. inwards. Um, and this is true on in either direction, right? If you think about your, your zero point where the lower control arm is parallel with the ground, mm-hmm. um, even if you go down or droop is what we call it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that shorter upper control arm is still pulling that the top of that upright closer to the car because it can't travel as far. Yeah. So whether you're going into compression or droop, um, you know you're you're gaining camber. Your static setting is the least amount of camber you'll have. Yes. Um, is it? When your lower control arm's parallel, uh, typically that's close to the target. Um, you know, you, we we'll just hand wave there. Yeah. Right. There's there's other cars like you'll you'll see enough one cars that's not even close to what they do, but it's an arrow trade off for their front wing. Yeah. Um, it's it's a whole other can of worms. So yeah. let let's just keep it kind of simple for now, right? Yeah. Of course. So, and then now let's introduce the concept of a strut. So you still have that lower control arm, but instead of a shorter one on top, you have this bar that connects your strut to, well, it goes upwards, right? It goes to your strut tower. Um, And then if you think about how the upright is going to pivot there Mm -hmm. one thing is 
right? It's it's not going to pull the as nearly as much anyway. It's not going to pull that upright inwards towards the car, and it's not going to push it outwards either. Yeah, like the the struts kind of acting in this case, it's kind of like a it's a sliding member that almost it kind of takes the place of two normal links that you'd see on say a a double wishbone car. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's you know, like you're saying it's it's kind of it's not pivoting the same way that the the double A arm will. Right. So your your camera curve is mainly kind of determined by that that lower arm, right, for a McPherson strut. Um, somewhat, right? I mean, that lower arm can do whatever it wants. It, it's still a relation to the strut yeah. point. Um, but the big point is that, or the main point, is that it's not going to move that much. Yes. Right? You're not going to gain nearly as much camber. You know, for... Now, this depends on your motion ratio, right? So, again, yep. this is all about the angle of the strut. Um you know, if your angle was, or if your stroke was, for some godforsaken reason, almost perpendicular with the upright, <laughs> you'd have some camber gain if it was shorter <laughs> than the lower control arm. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> but just a, a, a dynamic thought experiment, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and this sort of plays into your sine, cosine, small angle approximations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about creating this arc, the struts at the top of the circle, it's going upwards. Um, you're not having much lateral translation. Yes. You know, for yeah, and you, you, for very small angles, mm-hmm. right? So, anyways, that that's how this works, or why you have more camera gain with one. Yes. Rather than another. Yeah. So I mean, it 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 leads to I mean, uh, comparing that strut to a, a double wishbone, it kind of leads to the that kind of reason why people may say like a a Miata or S two thousand, they're just really good handling cars versus your Honda Civic or, or or something like that, where just inherently that geometry, and there's a lot of more. There's a lot more a lot other thing a lot of other things going into it kind of what we talked about in the the last episode um but uh it by having that that camera curve there's other things that can maybe be i mean you you can set you know less static camber in order to but still get pretty good camber and compression right and that has a nice benefit of since i mean where you want camber is in the corners where you're going to get that compression, where you're getting that body roll. Uh, and then in the, on the, on the loaded side of the tire, you're getting that compression that then leads to that additional camber that you're, you're going to want. But, um, I guess real quick, I bring it down to the very super basics, just so make sure everyone's on, on the same page here. You know, camber of course is that inclination angle of the, of the wheel and tire to the kind of the, the vertical plane that, that, I guess goes to the center of the car, or I guess yeah. at least your, your reference plane there. So, uh, the more you, the more you go up, you know, the, that's usually we refer to, or the more, the more it leans towards basically the center of the car, we call that the negative camber and mm-hmm. then positive in the other direction. Just so, just so everyone's on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. But, um, uh, but, I mean, so like you said, 
And you were alluded to anyway. You, you talked about getting camber when you want it. Yes. So let's start with what what do you want, right? And realistically and simplistically, um, you're trying to use the tire. Of course. Right? When you are braking in a straight line, you want that tire relatively perpendicular to the ground. Yeah. You want as much contact patch as you can get. Yep. Um, and then when you turn into a corner, as you mentioned, you have some body roll. Mm-hmm. And because of that body roll, your car's plane is no longer parallel with the ground. Right? Um, and if you had little or no camber gain, mm-hmm. uh, your tire would follow the vehicle. Um, so with no camber gain, it doesn't really matter which side you're on. But as a quick note, because we'll get into this later, um, let's say you're taking a right turn, you're loading the outside of the car. That's where the weight transfer is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're adding weight to the left side of the car in a right-hand turn. And you're unloading the right inside. Um, again, sort of looking only at McPherson, which doesn't have much gain or loss, and double A-arm, which gains camber both um, in Johnson rebound or up and down directions of your suspension travel. Mm-hmm. It's not a problem yet, but we'll we'll get there eventually. So anyways, um, you're going through a corner and you're loading the outside of these tires. That means the tires on the left side of the car are going to be giving you a whole lot more grip than the ones on the right side. Uh, these are the ones you should care about more. If there is a trade-off, you know, if you have to sacrifice a tire, um, you want to sacrifice the inside tire. Of course. Um, yeah. And then I guess we can get into tires in a whole another time. Yeah, I mean, it kind of all starts with tires, right? It, it, it does. Yeah, ultimately, so maybe, you know. It's an awkward place to start, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, it's all, everything we're trying to do here is to make the tire happy. It's Yeah, you want to optimize the tire. It's it's the thing that's contacting the road between you and the car, and it's, you know, it's why that suspension is there in the first place is to try to, I mean, for one, not rattle your bones uh, uh, into into bits when you hit a bump, but also to, to control that tire in a way that, that is favorable. Yeah. Um, but... But yeah, I mean, so, I mean, inherently different tires, they like different amounts of camber. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it it's going to be hard for any, for any. But any I mean, before we get too crazy with what the tires want, let's, let's hop back into our mid right hand turn. Okay. Yep. Yep. You have your body roll just to bring things to a quick summation. You want to be using that tire. So to keep the tire flat on the ground, it needs to have some camber relative to the car. Yes. And that's that's where we're getting at. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. if your if your tire was optimized for turning, which it's not, at zero um, or perpendicular to the ground, you would need camber in a corner because you have this body roll. Yes. Um, and then moving on. 
I'll let, I'll let you take over. But um, like you said, different tires, like different amounts of camber. Yeah. So, I mean, unfortunately for most of us who are doing club racing and and just maybe messing with our cars and that kind of stuff, we don't have access to tire data, mm-hmm. unfortunately, uh, unlike maybe like a Formula One team would. But actually, maybe they, they might not even have access to tire data because of the whole control tire thing. It might be off limits to them, yeah. It might be. I'm actually not 100% sure about go that. go down to GTLM to get tired out of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, so they definitely get tire data for designing their cars. They get bespoke tires made uh, for their cars and, and as well as LMP1 as well. But uh, but for the, for the rest of us uh, that aren't designing LMP1 cars, we don't have access to tire data. So, basically, we just need to find it through testing and tuning. Yep. Um you know, and kind of goes back to the whole seat time thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, your car needs some some seat time too, basically, and you need to some seat time in the the old setup uh, setup area. So, um, but but you know, so as we said, you know, different tires are gonna like different amounts of camber. Uh, maybe some tires can also. Uh, and you were talking about braking. How usually you want that contact patch to be, you know, as, as large as possible in that case. Uh, some tires could be a little more, I guess, forgiving to have a little more camber mm-hmm. in a brake zone. So it, it really depends on that sidewall construction and the, the kind of the, the, and the rest of the construction of the tire just, it does. Yeah. So it's, it's ultimately for, for us, we just have to kind of find it through, you know, testing, changing, making changes, that kind of thing uh, to find what the tire wants. But, but, but in the, for the most part, I mean, there's there's some general you know rules of thumb you can apply to really any tire to to try to at least get like a baseline setup as far as your your camber is concerned. Sure. Um, but but like you said like uh, with the braking zones, there's th- that kind of leads us to the a trade-off there. If you run way too much static camber, or maybe your suspension gains a lot in in uh, in compression, so under braking in that case. Uh, if you gain too much in the front there, you could you could lose a little, a, quite a bit of your braking performance by basically limiting that contact patch under braking. Uh, and for well, for future notes, this is where we'll talk about uh, there's between roll, mm-hmm. right, and um, just compressing the whole front axle. Yeah, and, and dive. The, yeah. Or, so uh, pitch, I guess. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, so that, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of kind of compromises, uh, that you have to factor in based on, because like, uh, if you're in a situation where you're doing some, some budget endurance racing or something, you're, you're going to most likely be stuck with a McPherson front. Uh, it's pretty common in most, most road cars, uh, unless you went with a Miata or like a smart person, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but so you're going to have to, you know, find a way to, to make that work kind of the best for you. So, right. And like you said, that's, that's going to be a lot through, uh, testing and tuning. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember, so we were fortunate enough, right. You can get tired data in formula SAE. Yeah. So we had some of that and I remember, I believe it was the Goodyear tires generated the most, um, lateral force. Mm-hmm. At I think it was two or three degrees, of um, two or three degrees of static camber. So the way they run this test is 
they'll incline the tire and then put it on this belt of essentially sandpaper. It mm-hmm. represents the road and run it through some sweeps. But what that would mean to you is that you want to get that most lateral acceleration. You want your static camber to be two to three degrees and you'd want to keep it there Yeah, through articulation. Um, so, you know, you'd, get your camber gain so that when your body rolls, you're maintaining that peak lateral force generation. Yes. So, you know, maybe you want a flat contact patch for braking, but just because of the tire construction, you know, whatever magic those wizards are doing, <laughs> um, you want some, some static camber. Yes. And basically what you're, yeah, like you said, what you're doing is you're trying to make it so that the tires and it's in that happy place Mm -hmm. as much as possible, especially in in heavy cornering, at least in this lateral case we're talking. Um, But so because of that, talking specifically McPherson, that usually means much more static camber than you would run uh, in a, in a double wishbone, unequal a arm uh, type setup. Yeah. It, It would mean you'd run more, if you can, lots of times with McPherson construction, you'll be limited. Or with the series, right? Lots of pro series will limit your camber. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll they'll put it in the BOP in the balance of performance or BOP, as we called it a lot in the last episode. Um, so it'll be different. They'll they'll give the McPherson cars a little bit more leeway, but honestly, not really enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so just because your camber is measured on the scale pads at tech, the people who can get more when the car is, you know, actually rolling and driving around on the track will will just have a advantage. Yes. That's that's just what it boils down to is you're limited by a peak number. Yep. You can't go past that. So these other people have an advantage. Yeah. And um and I guess another thing to think about when you're when you're setting that camber or when you're trying to find that ideal number uh, is there's other factors that uh, maybe maybe people don't think about as much as uh, you also have the the compliance of your suspension that can also cause some some camber to either be gained or lost. I mean, uh, I mean that's one subject like compliance. It's like the o, the OE manufacturers do a ton of tuning there on on their, the, you know, the rubber bushings to not only for comfort, but also they can get, do some kind of pretty nice trick things to, to get the geometry the way they want it. They really do. Um, for another future <laughs> tech conversation, I'd yeah. love to get into that. Um, for because sure. every time I read anything about any car that has any problem that people don't understand, they say it's the bushings. Yeah. Then a lot of vibration analysis a lot of that sort of work. It's not, it might be probably not. the bushings. <laughs> You're probably wrong. You just don't know how the car works. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know, one of the first things us, you know, us amateur racers try to do is, is change out all the bushings on a suspension. And, and that might be good. Uh, I mean, cause when you take a, you know, like a, you know, a, a Honda civic or a Ford focus, uh, don't flip it though. Uh, yeah. Uh, you, know, you take one of these cars that were never really set up as track racing cars and you take them to, to a track, uh, 
there's certain things you can definitely gain from tailoring it more towards, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're, you could potentially maybe get rid of some of that compliance that could be working against you in, in for camber. But, uh, for the most part, honestly, for as far as bushings go, it's just nice to, to get something a little stronger in there that, uh, that, doesn't wear wear out as quickly but as far as it, it doesn't mean you really need to change out those bushings to make a to make a quote-unquote real race car uh right it, it does add some nice factor even if you sort of ruin a little bit of kinematicness somewhere yes. in there um you know having those things those suspension almost points i guess be stiffer it's a little more predictable um yeah so that is you know, even even if you ruin the car a little bit, it's it's a benefit for the driver and driver confidence rolls into that driver mod, which is key. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's changing out the bushings might it's you know it's it's not gonna it's, it shouldn't hand ruin the handling of the car, but like it, there's a reason why they the, the always use rubber bushings like they or, yeah whatever they used right like the the current GT five hundred has a few um ball joints mm-hmm. on it which is cool right yeah, I mean, you don't really see yeah a lot of oes using ball joints i feel like those those engineers probably picked the ones that are most important mm-hmm. probably did a little bit of testing <laughs> a lot of testing way too much testing but uh yeah and and so i guess Outside of like your kind of niche endurance racing kind of situations, especially when you're changing a ton on the car, like just if you're just doing some track days and stuff, I think that's not probably the first place to look as far as uh, the bushings. No, but we're we're, but we're kind starting of to yeah, get a little yeah we're trying to start to stray off the path a little bit. <laughs> but I guess we do to kind of finish that thought. It's just it it could. I mean, some cars maybe have uh, they could react a little bit better or worse from like maybe a bushing change for as far as your camber is mm-hmm. of course it can change other things and that's where you have to kind of balance that thing out but yeah uh but but you know in in, in a car that you're loading up with with really really sticky tires that they never really intended you have, have on there compliance can be another kind of factor that you want to almost like uh, add in because usually compliance is gonna at least so like going through that uh, loaded turning right kind of situation you were talking about it's the the forces from the tire that are reacting to the suspension are kind of pulling are basically pulling that tire towards the vehicle or it's kind of reacting to pull it towards it so a lot of times that compliance will lead to less camber potentially so it's just it's kind of another thing to factor in when you're setting it if uh you know, if you if you're working with a car that just happens that has all sphericals for for your suspension, then you're probably not going to need as much. You can factor in a little less static camber to 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 fight off that compliance. Yeah, you know, and so so Brian mentioned this a little bit about finding in amateur racing, finding what you need through testing. Um, a, lot, a lot of pro racers will obviously do that as well. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't want to give you a rule of thumb, right? Because it's, it's so vast. But 
you know, if, if you start with a couple degrees of negative camber, maybe you're all right. But the thing is, all tracks are different. They grade of their asphalt, mm-hmm. um, how they work with the tire, and all the tires are different. So you, so you have a lot of variables here, um, and the weather's different. Totally, oh, yeah. right? That's going to change a lot. So, you know, you go to a track maybe like Watkins Glen, which is known to be not as nice to tires. Um, and depending on what you're doing, maybe you want to run a little less camber because you're worried about the longevity of your tire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe that trade-off's worth it. Maybe not, right? That's something you need to find out through testing. Um, I know some uh, a race engineer who was having issue with someone um they wanted to run i think there were scuffs might have been rains but um he said it was so cold out they couldn't there's nothing they could do to get the tire warm mm-hmm. so they put a just a gross amount of camber in it right they almost maxed it out on a race car which is a lot of camber <laughs> um just because you know it reduces that contact patch because you move the sidewall supports the tire more. Yeah. Right. And with that smaller, you know, area, um, they would end up driving more heat into the tire. I'm not sure how it worked out, um, <laughs> but that, that was an attempt, right? Yeah. They just couldn't get their tires up to temp, you know? Uh, and if you need to get them up to temp quicker for some reason, Maybe play around with the camber a little bit. Yeah. You know, um, again, it, it's going to affect all these other things we're talking about. Yes. going to talk about, it's going to affect your braking, your cornering performance. Mm-hmm. It's. Yeah. And, you know, the track starts drying out mid race, then uh, you, you could. You, you could roast left, them. Uh, yeah. You could left with some pretty roasted tires. So yeah. it's. And then the obvious part is, you know, you're wearing the inner side of the tire a lot more. Yeah. So, so so yeah, I mean the, but I think the, the important part there is to, for one, uh, like one big benefit, I think you'll find if you're kind of modifying your first car is to, to make it so that you can have a lot more adjustment in that camber. A lot of cars are pretty limited Mm -hmm. in the amount of camber they can uh, dial in. Yeah. If you want to test, uh, adjustability is key. Absolutely. Yeah. And even, even a situation, uh, like with say champ car where, Maybe you don't want to run the points of a camera plate or whatever in, in that specific, whatever your rules are for your series. You can still buy some, go out, test, use a camera plate because it's going to make you, allow you to change your camera much easier than if you were just drilling holes in your strut tower or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's going to let you maybe dial it in. And then once you, you find what settings seem to work pretty good, at, at least at the specific track you're at, or, or maybe for your, the car and the tire, you can get a kind of in a ballpark for most tracks. Uh, then you can you can drill drill the, the new set of holes in your strut tower and then uh, maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe set that as your new at least that track setting or your new like baseline kind of setting. Yeah, yeah. So it's but yeah, definitely having that adjustability is very important. So I mean, like uh, I guess for example, in my uh, spec Miata, the one thing that you're allowed to do in the rules is well, you can either well, you, I guess you can do both. You can do an extended lower ball joint, which brings that obviously that lower arm, that lower point of the, the upright out, which adds negative camber, or mm-hmm. you can go to an offset upper control arm bushing that you can then shorten basically the effective length of that control arm. And again, add more camber. So, uh, before that, I just, I couldn't get enough negative camber in there to, 
to to satisfy that that, that tire's needs. It wasn't. It just there was still and and so one thing one way you could kind of figure that out like directionally is with some tire temperatures. It's, it's definitely yep. a, a very good way to go about it. And yeah, every time I would come in, like the, the tricky part with tire temperatures though is that you need to drive the car pretty hard all the way into the pits to make sure you maintain the temperature. Yeah, the tires cool off real quick. Yeah, so ideally you want someone in the pit lane waiting waiting for you with the with the probe and you and you race in there basically safely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and get those t- temps uh, taken, but yeah, I was finding that I just had uh, the outside was was just too hot. I needed more more negative camber to to, to get the outside basically work the it was the tire was almost rolling over on itself too much because it just wasn't enough camber heating up those outsides, and I wasn't using basically all of the tire as good as it could be. So by you know taking that measurement and seeing. Uh, that I could use more and then well then found that I couldn't get any more so uh from there I had to update the car and then from there I could get to the cameras I the camber angles I wanted so it's having that adjustability is very important uh and then and then from there yeah testing having the right tools to to figure it out mm-hmm. and uh and yeah and you can you can find kind of your ideal setup for different tracks, different conditions. I mean, it's going to change with the weather, as you said, like, you know, even just the temperature, a cool day, hot day. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, listeners, I was going to say viewers. Um, unfortunately everything changes, right? So you're, you're going to need to test uh, if you really want to do it right. Um, my Miata, I had, Fairly decent luck with the extended lower ball joints. Mm-hmm. Um, bolted those in. That, I mean, that just shifted everything. Yeah. And I ran a ballpark of, I think it was like negative two and a half degrees. Um, and I drove it on the street too. So that's why it wasn't so aggressive. Um, but something else to think about though, right, is the track service may generate so much grip, but even at the same track, it gets hotter, it gets colder, whatever. You lose a little grip. Mm-hmm. Now that you have less grip, you have less lateral acceleration. Yes. Which means you're going to have less body roll, which means the car's going to be at a different point through the corner yep. with that camber. So, yeah. So, I mean, it, it really. Just get out there and figure it out. <laughs> it really shows the importance of also keeping very good uh, track notes. Yeah, absolutely. And setup notes, like uh, however you can keeping track of the exact the ambient conditions uh you know describe it best as you can like even because even just like the weather might not be enough like how's the sun cover because some tracks the the sun comes out and all of a sudden the track gets a second slower or something yeah so it's there's a lot of a lot of things going there get your track get your notes together and then that way after you've been to the same place a couple times you can look oh it's it's about the same conditions as it was this time i'm gonna let's try running that setup so yeah or you, you can extrapolate a little bit if you need, but uh, I mean, you're exactly right, Brian. Uh, good notes, detailed notes are key for sure, and and it's just it's kind of you know it's it's kind of doing your homework there. It's just making sure you don't waste any of that. Also, you know, you're not wasting any of that sweet sweet seat time that you're you're getting out there to to get better as a driver. You also want to make sure you try to maximize that 
that data collecting, that, that setup right. work, that note taking. So uh, when you go back there next time, kind of you can hit the ground running. And I know that's something I haven't been the best with, uh, at least over my last season at Spec Miata. And I know I can definitely improve. And, and of course, it being my first season, I didn't have all those notes together for all the tracks. So now I can go back, you know, look at the, the my static settings at each event that I went into and then, you know, think about the performance, the lap time, and and, uh, and then from there I can keep tweaking. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's it's definitely probably one of the, as far as performance from the tire and the suspension, camber's usually kind of the first place you want to look. It's it's very important making sure you, you're it using is, all the tire. It is important. Um, and, you know, we'll, uh, we mentioned... We'll do a, a setup, a little tech tip later, um, because changing camber will affect your tail a little bit. Oh yeah, so I mean, it's going to change the whole car. So I, I think we've probably beaten this horse as much as we can <laughs> in within the scope of just camber. Yeah, so I mean, um, we could we could I'm sure we could keep going, and, but as with everything in the suspension geometry, you change one thing, and all of a sudden you're not changing some other things too. So yeah. <laughs> it's uh, but yeah, we could go, we could go for a while on, on car setup, but, uh, but maybe, yeah, maybe future episodes, we could dive deeper into the other, other areas of suspension. Yeah. Um, I mean, depending on how, how well y'all like these long episodes, I can just give you a <laughs> four hour rundown on setup, you know? Yeah. It's all, it's all what, uh, what you guys want. So, yeah, just, just let us know what uh, you know. If you have any questions, we'll we can see what most people are thinking about. Cover whatever we can. Yeah, so, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's something we're planning to do and for a while. So we'll we'll be here. We'll be here to answer you know everything we can. So yeah, but as long as we're talking about doing things on a race car right mm-hmm. or properly. I want you to give me your theory on why a time attack car um, will have specs in every category that should get it to the moon, right? Yeah. A billion horsepower (laughs) with a B, Uh, all the aero, all the tire, super lightweight. This, it should be one of the world's fastest machines right um and they are really fast but they are but then we see a gt3 car yes roll out um it's got less of all of those things Mm -hmm. all of them without question you know less aero less tire it's heavier less power and gt3 cars are faster generally so yeah not only are they faster but they're doing that for hours straight yeah. they're, they're, i mean they're, they're about to do it for 24 <laughs> hours in a few weeks yeah so and a, and a time attack car is going to do it for five minutes before the engine blows up. <laughs> yeah and uh there's definitely i've thought about this a lot there's this there's a lot that goes into it right i mean so i mean time attack um it's something i haven't really i haven't gotten into but i've, I've followed it because it's always interesting everyone likes to see uh, especially if they're a huge fan of certain types of cars, like you see a 
an Evo, a Mitsubishi Evo out there, and it's running those super fast lap times. It's cool to see like a road car taken off the street and then just doing lap times that are close to a GT3 car. Um, yeah. Uh, sub 140s. Yeah, sub 140 at Gingerman's. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't think GT3 has a lap record there. So I mean, as far as I know, sub 140s should be about right. Yeah, somewhere just just below it. Somewhere. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So somewhere, maybe maybe just barely, but yeah. Um, but yeah, Time Attack. It's 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 fun because it's it's one of those things where um, it is a lot about the car, uh, but. You know the driver is always important, as we as we always stress. It's all about, you know, driver mod is very important. Yes, and kind of uh, maybe that's where we'd start. I think for one, I mean, there's some definitely good, great drivers in Time Attack. Um, honestly, I think the most successful teams are the ones that will bring a professional driver because uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of people that, especially, uh, I mean, even even like the unlimited class all the way at the top, that will, you know, it's their car, they built it, and they want to get the track time with it because they put all that. You know, all that money, all that sweat, all that, yeah. all, all the tears. It's, it's understandable. Yeah. It's and, just, you can't be shocked if a pro comes in and beats you. Exactly. And and also what's tricky with those cars um, is because they're so kind of highly strung is that you don't want to do too many laps with it. You don't, you can't get the seat time in it because you're just going to damage something because, because of how, how much power they're trying to run through, you know, relatively small engines and and cars that were never designed for that much power. But, um, but, but driver mod, I mean, it's, it, it, it always comes through and, you know, when, so the, you know, one thing a GT three car will have usually is a professional driver driving it, depending on the series. Mm-hmm. But I don't know when you have some guy called Raffaele Marcello or something like that, I can't even pronounce it right. He's, it sounds really fast and he's probably, probably is and uh and he's probably gonna be faster than than you are in your in your car because uh, he, he he's been doing this since he's been four yep. and you know he, he's got the seat time so even though he's never driven your car before i'm sure he could jump into it and figure it out pretty quickly he's got he's got the reactions the 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 kind of the back he's yeah, you know, he's got the experience to, to know what the car should feel like and how to push it and what the car feels like when it's being pushed. So, yeah, it's just driver mod is going to be important. But I mean, you know, some GT3 cars that uh, they're in amateur level class, well, the AM class in, in a professional race, like in uh, like SRO you know, World Challenge in America, Europe, uh, there's some sometimes where they put the amateur driver in and that's that's the easiest way to see the driver mod they throw the amateur driver in there and all of a sudden the car magically becomes four seconds a lap slower uh and it really goes to show how important that driver mod is but if we put the drivers aside now say you know your time attack team you hire the the big shot pro guy and and so you're not too worried about the, the driver mod maybe you know let's say the same driver in both cars uh, I guess the next thing you'd want to get into is um, I, th- I think that that really hurts a lot of these cars is, is power delivery. I mean, yes, they have a thousand horsepower, eleven hundred horsepower. You know, uh, in a GT3 car, it has around five to six hundred. Uh, uh, getting that power, effectively using it, putting it to the ground, that could be a whole another story. And that's something that GT3 cars are set up beautifully for i mean they have uh 
traction control systems uh, that work when when you're in lower grip situations and then otherwise um, I mean they just they have so much grip that it's <laughs> at least from the downforce which we'll obviously get into as well mm-hmm. uh, that it's it's a lower number so it's just a lot more manageable and um, and on top of that with the traction control and everything it just makes for something that that just puts down its power really really well and now you have your you know thousand horsepower front wheel drive car or something like that that is you're you're almost I mean and and I think I've seen teams really make pretty good leaps in this as kind of the aftermarket ECU game has been upped over the last couple of years having you know being able to have access and to strategies like track control and stuff that that are working a lot better and and boost boost by gear boost uh, kind of yeah, almost like yeah, and, and traction control systems of course too like being able to use the power more effectively yeah uh is 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 another important thing so it's and and then that kind of that kind of goes into the chassis setup as well like if the car needs to be set up to, to handle that power as well and and uh so it's like you can keep adding horsepower to your car but if it can't put it down whether it's the suspension geometry having issues, you don't have the right tire on the car. Um, it can, you know, it can make for, for something that you're just kind of wasting that power uh, that you put all that effort into to making. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd say that's, that's, that's another area is that, that kind of power delivery area. And, and there's also like all GT3 cars have sequential transmissions that shift super fast um a lot of the top uh a lot of the top cars nowadays in, in time attack will have at least uh sequentially shifted transfers some of them even at the like world time attack level and everything they have uh full-on paddle shifted you know race transmissions but um but for the most part i mean a lot of you know a lot of if you're still using that stick shift that's a lot of that's a lot of time you're losing for every shift that uh so right. so that's kind of another area that you might be losing out that those guys might be losing out time on um i think there's also something to be said for uh the car being designed sort of cohesively yes right so um arrow gives you downforce but also a drag yes um uh, power is good if you get it from a big turbo that takes forever to spool maybe it's not as useful yeah you know um it's obviously normal race car things heat management which goes into aero yeah um you know and then i've seen some uh time attack cars where they make their own uh arms Mm. Right, control arms. Yeah, which is cool. I like it. Um, so maybe they do that for an arrow thing, and they make the arm a little shorter mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, there's there's a lot of things you're changing, roll centers, you know, or how it migrates. Um, yeah, you know, and depending on what you're doing, especially if you start with a stock car, you know for your time attack. I think lots of people are, are aware enough to look for uh, 
like bump steer issues um, or roll steer. Um, but these are all things that come together and it, it's good when you have a full team all going to the same goal. Right. Yeah. I think if you approach a, a car and I, I think this is what happens though. I can't speak for anybody. I haven't built a time attack car myself, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of these amateurs who do build them, um, have a goal for one thing specifically and they hit it and then they move on to the next one. Yeah. So it's not a package, right? Whereas that GT three car is homologated and it's done. Yes. Um, you know, their time attack car, they'll add more power. How well does the suspension handle it? You know? Who knows? They'll add more weight. Well, shit, now you're riding on the bump stops. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, I think there's something to be said for setting your goal and not like a short goal and you have a long goal later. Like, this is what you're going to do. <laughs> yep. And that's it. That's the end of it. And designing a car to that one spot. Yeah, I think it's it's easy. Because uh, there's, well, I mean, as we noted, there's trade-offs and everything, so. Yeah, and I, I think some people, they go into it, they're, they set their lap time, they're like, how can I get it faster? Okay, that's, we need more power. We need more, more power. So let's do that. And then, you know, they said, but maybe you had a ton of air on the car, and now you're hitting that long... You're hitting higher top speed on the straight and you're just riding on those bump stops because now you're going much faster. Your air load's increasing and, you know, now the car is undrivable at that high speed. And so now, okay, let's put a stiffer spring in there. And then uh, then you find that the car is just not handling right in the lower speed stuff. And so it's just if you if you look at your car like like you're designing a GT3 car, if you decide, okay, this, it, it's fitting, it needs to fit into this. Honestly, you know, you look at what lap time do I need to, to do mm-hmm. to win this class? Yeah, essentially. And then you start from there. Well, how am I going to get there? And you can do basic, uh, basic kind of lap time simulation stuff. I mean, there's, there's some programs out there you can find for free. Yeah. Uh, you can even do just like cell based stuff, but like you look at it and you think how much power, how much grip do I expect from the tire? How much arrow? will I need to get the the grip I want and then how much power will I need basically to to keep overpower that arrow almost basically uh, to prevent to 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 prevent the drag from being uh, basically slowing you down more than uh than it's helping you in that right. case um and and then and that's one thing I think uh, talking about arrow that's one place where uh, a GT3 car is uh very very effective i mean they don't have super giant you know triple element wings and splitters that stick out three feet from the car and all that kind of stuff and and that stuff works i mean it it makes downforce but a lot of times i think a lot of people are kind of chasing chasing the balance they're like oh well i need more rear downforce because that's high speed and it's getting loose you know the rear end stepping out so i'll add a giant you know, rear wing on, and then maybe some areas they start to find too much uh, understeer. And and really, both those things are working against each other. You put that giant wing up there, especially if you mount it really high up, it's it's basically just tilting the entire car kind of up 
uh, like pivoting the whole car from the yeah, rear. You lose a lot of more steering. Exactly. So what a GT3 car is able to do, which makes it just that much more efficient, is they're generating a lot of downforce from the body of the car, which really has very little downsides. Um, by using the by having a complete flat floor as well as a nicely des- designed diffuser, they're working their front arrow better by drawing kind of more air through the front of the car underneath the splitter, which creates that pressure differential. You get you want basically you know on the working surface. I mean, arrow is a whole topic on its own, but the working surface, which is the bottom in the case of cars, top for airplanes. We don't want to be flying though. <laughs> no. no, we don't. Uh, you want that air to be basically. A, moving as fast as possible and the top surface you want to move you know as slow you're trying to make that difference in speed which makes that pressure differential um so in the case of a gt3 car they got that flat bottom so they're drawing a lot of air through the front because they have this nicely designed flat bottom and diffuser which is basically kind of pulling all that air through making their front splitter which is quite small in comparison to most time attack cars they're making it work much better and then on top of that it's it's kind of it's also improving the rear downforce by creating that suction under the car, which usually kind of starts somewhere, or at least the peak of it is at the start of that diffuser. So basically it's, it's, they're getting rid of drag by doing it. They're increasing their downforce and, and overall just their efficiency is, is way higher. Whereas if you're just kind of chasing, oh, I need a bigger rear wing. Now I need a bigger front splitter. I need a bigger, they're, they're kind of fighting each other. And ultimately, you have will have more total downforce, but the drag starts to really start to to ramp up, and and that's a lot of times why you see these cars have thousand horsepower or something because they they need it because of the amount of drag that they're making. Uh, they need to make up for it basically. So it's it's kind of like the 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 most common strategy I see in time attack, especially in like unlimited cars, just add more downforce, add more power, yeah, ignore drag, <laughs> just. <laughs> add more just add more and it does work up to a point but and that's why i think that's the biggest contributor why you see these time attack cars um you look at those lap times because we've done it before where um you you see the lap times they're setting the the lap records that they're doing or whatever and then you look at the ims is there the next weekend and they're with the gtd cars and look at what those guys are doing qualifying you're like oh wow they're those guys are even faster and this car yeah. is 600 horsepower. Right. And yeah, that's the question. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, as we said, it's, it's, it's about making a cohesive package where nothing is overmatched for the other things. It's everything's working together. Uh, and you know, efficiency is very important. Yeah, absolutely. So do you think there's, um, based off of what you've seen with time attack cars, in the way they set up. Do you think there's a huge difference, I guess, in skill between the vehicle setup? Right? Like the, the race engineers who will show up with a GTD yeah. car compared to whoever's running a time attack car. I, I mean, mean I, I've seen a car go from a bad setup to a good setup, and that's worth a couple seconds. Do you think there's that differential in skill level between them? Yeah, I mean... I mean, it kind of goes with what we were talking earlier about, you know, testing to find the right camber. It's uh, with a lot of these time attack cars because because they they can't get too many laps in without either overheating or having engine issues or something. It's it's really hard to find that right setup. You kind of go out there one lap, do the best you can, and you know, and you can do some directional changes before the next session. But uh, 
I mean, usually the, the morning cool session is the fastest one. So yeah. to get that setting, the, the setup right the first time is, is tough. And if you're only doing a couple laps for the whole weekend, that's really not much data to work off of. And so you have you would have to be very deliberate with how you're taking your data, tire temps, all that kind of stuff to to, to try to get the setup in, a, in an area where I'm sure you could gain a ton more. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, whereas with a professional race team, GT3 car, they're, you know, they're going to be the, you know, a lot of people on the team probably have a lot of experience. They've been to a lot of different tracks, maybe running that car or at least type of car a lot. So they're going to have a lot of know-how. They're going to, they're going to know where to, to start with. They're going to have a lot of setup notes over the years, that kind of thing. So, um, you can expect that, you know, they're going to be able to set the car up to its potential. Yeah. And you know, not not everyone will. I mean, even in in the in pro racing, you'll see you know two teams, same car, you know, two different teams, and you know one team wins the race, the other one doesn't. I mean, it, it's the same equipment, but you know one yeah. set it up better, one maybe was driven a little better. It's right. It's not everyone's always going to get it right the first time, but in in time attack, it's going to be tough to nail that setup that first time. And with, you know, you're not going to then go for a second lap after you'd made that change. You know, it's just, and, and because with, with time attack cars being mostly based or all based on production cars, also the adjustment is usually a little less easy than a, a purpose built race car. So, sure. So yeah, it's, I mean, I'm sure with, with how much power they're making, how much downforce, just a setup change could be, you know, a couple seconds depending on where you are, but yeah, but yeah, so it's, there's just, there's, there's definitely a lot that goes into it. There's, and, and those, I mean, of course the GT3 car is going to be designed nicely because it's designed usually by a, either a manufacturer or, or a, one of those kind of partners to a manufacturer and they, they got, mm-hmm. you know, fully, uh, you know, f- fully salaried engineers that are designing parts for this thing and it's right. all machined in house potentially or, and you know, it's, they, they have the resources to, to get it done right. They, you know, they're probably doing CFD work, um, yeah. which I'm seeing more, more often now in, in the, in time attack and amateur racing, it's, you know, it's becoming more accessible, but uh, you know, good CFD work, especially that's validated later in the wind tunnel, mm-hmm. uh, which you, um, I imagine they're doing as well. Uh, that's going to, you know, take it to the next level, basically. I think so. It's a good place to put in a side note that it's very easy to do CFD wrong and get an answer that you believe. Yes. So for all you amateurs at home, I'm not telling you you're doing it wrong, but I am telling you I can get an answer that is super wrong. Oh, yeah. But if I showed you the, the cool... Colored lines. <laughs> uh, it would it would look right. Yeah, yeah, and you know? it's definitely something to you know look out for. Uh, I mean, most people aren't doing you know CFD yet on in in this level, you know, in, in time attack and and amateur endurance racing that kind of stuff. But you know, I'm sure we'll see it more and more often. And mm-hmm. but it's it's definitely. It's a it's a warning to if you decide you want to pay someone to do that, you know, be be wary of those results if they're, and anytime you're doing something like that where it's you know for where you're just having them do some quick CFD work for your car, it's 
it's really hard to, you need to validate it. I mean, if you don't have a wind tunnel, which I don't think either of us do, uh, and most people have access to, or I mean, you have access to it. You just (laughs) need to bring a big, big blank check and be okay with writing off a ton. Right. But, uh, A2A is not too bad, I guess. (laughs) But, uh, ultimately uh you can still get some good data from the track from from trying those different setups right um and that's where i mean that's ultimately where you want to where, where you want to see that result so uh it just you know it just goes down to, to keep going to the track get that seat time get that setup time in keep trying new things but uh i think you could probably be better off instead of spending hours and hours in CFD trying to to do something instead just do a couple extra test days track days and and try different parts on the car that could yeah. be potentially more beneficial um but but I think ultimately it's still impressive though that that these people who aren't professionals racing you know race teams engineers and stuff are are taking these cars and making them nearly as fast as GT3 cars is still pretty impressive I mean I mean, it's it's probably one of the easiest ways to. It's still not easy, but it's it's e- <laughs> maybe less expensive ways to drive a car that fast, is to build something like that. Unfortunately, it's only going to be for a lap or two at a time, and not like a full, full race. But um, it's definitely something I think I would like to get into one day. Just it would certainly be fun, you know. I think I think it would be a good time. I agree. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I always follow it and I, I enjoy it. Um, but yeah, you know, if, if I could just go out and spend $800,000 in a GT3 car, I could wipe the floor with, with everyone in, in, in most time and tech classes. I think it would still be legal, right? It's unlimited. I mean, in an unlimited class, you should be able to, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's kind of, obviously it's you know, a lot of time attacks about, about do, you know, making those changes, learning, Mm-hmm. You know, improving both you and in the car, and I think that's a pretty cool pursuit to be a part of. Um, yeah, but but also, I'd love to drive a GT3 car. That'd be sweet. <laughs> no, fuck. Yeah, that'd be sweet. That'd be so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's that's definitely it's that's a dream. I mean, that, maybe one day, at least just drive one. I, I'm not. I don't, I'm never going to own one or be paid to race one. But if I could just. Yeah, shout out to any uh, GTD, or maybe if you're an SRO, just a GT3 yeah. team who needs an AM driver. I am free ninety nine. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you, I'll I'll give you ten bucks. I'll give you ten bucks and a chicken sandwich from Chick Fil A. Oh, man, I know. it's hard to beat. Yeah, Chick Fil A. I, I will wait in that two-hour line for the one Chick Fil A <laughs> that's like in our area. Well, I can't beat that, so I guess <laughs> I guess you got it. You there got you me. Go. GT3 cars, my ride. <laughs> yeah, it's it'd be sweet. I mean, it's it's kind of GT3 is kind of the it's I'd say it's the one of I don't know it's because you can get. Like LMP3 cars can sometimes be less expensive than those. I mean, it, it depends. To just buy one versus running it in a race series is two different things. But I think they are cheaper but, in every aspect. Yeah. Because the LMP3 cars, I think, were a Nissan V8. 
Yeah. Um, so I don't know how they've progressed through the years, but someone I was talking to a year and a half ago, so they were pretty bulletproof. Um, they apparently, it's the one he worked on. I don't know if that was a mechanic problem or if it's a, <laughs> you know, how the vehicle's designed, but he said it ate through CVs. Okay. So that was annoying. But otherwise, as long as you didn't bend it, they were pretty bulletproof. Yeah. But like, yeah, I'd say that's that, that's what I'd call, you know, a real race car, right? It's purpose-built. It's only meant for racing. There's no road version of it. Right. Whereas, I mean, even a GT3 car is probably the, definitely the entry into like that purpose-built race car. Yes, it's based on an Audi R8 or a, you know, Ferrari 4, 488 or something like that. But uh they it's not. they basically throw away most of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, all the suspension is going to be bespoke. The whole body is basically, you know, car, custom carbon, all that kind of stuff. The engine, you know, might be based on the the road going one, but it's you know it's going to be gone through, and they're going to be adding dry sumps and all that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. and so you end up with something that's you know basically a purpose built race car in a in a car body almost, but. There's still unibodies and everything, but after you add all the cage and everything, it's still yeah. very different. So, uh, but, but definitely one of my favorite cars to watch racing though. Like just seeing guys, seeing the different race series, especially SR Europe, they get lots of cars out there and it's always good racing. They got the factory drivers driving them. So it's always a good show. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Maybe one day. Maybe one day we could drive one. One of these days. <laughs> How much are they? Uh, you know, I, I don't know as much as... I don't think they're 800 grand. I think they're cheaper. I just don't know how much. I'm sure if you bought a brand new one from Audi or, or Ferrari or something, it would be 800 grand probably. You can probably find an older used one for less. <laughs> are you talking about GTD cars? Sorry, GT3. Yeah, I'm t- I'm talking about the LMP3 car. Oh, LMP3. I'm saying I think the LMP3 car is substantially cheaper. Than yeah, no, I think yeah, I think you can. I, I think I've seen them on good old racing junk for like classic three hundred thousand or so. So that's a steal. It's a steal. I mean, it's it's a fast car. It is a fast car. Even even LMP2, you can sometimes find maybe the old you know previous year vehicles, but you can find LMP2 cars too for not crazy cost, but it's just like. The second you have to change the transmission, which is a wear item. I mean, it is for any car, but in that case, like... It's a real wear item. Like a, every couple races kind of wear item. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the amount, how much you would have to pay for a new transmission shipped from the UK, from X-Track. It's, you know, it's it, it'll get expensive It's not fast. a good deal anymore. No, no. Not a good, just have fun track day kind of car kind of deal. Yeah. But... Yeah, if if I if I'm really old and I'm trying to get rid of all my money before I you know, find myself in the grave, it, it wouldn't be the worst way to just go out with a bang, just buy a buy a car and LMP two car and go for some track days and yeah, and probably fun. still get passed by some Miatas. Probably, <laughs> you know, the Miata is the penultimate sports car yeah it's i hear it's probably the fastest car in the world but basically everyone's standards yeah but you know but i, I drive those all the time and I'm, I'm more in for a, a more exotic experience oh yeah 
Yeah, you're one of those people. Yeah, you know, I gotta, you gotta show off a little more. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, I was, unless you're flipping your headlights up and down, you're not showing off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's the biggest problem with my car is like only one side works. I can only wink at people. Yeah. So it works too, I guess. But uh, it's probably, that should be on the top of my list. New engine? Nah. Fix the headlights. Fix the headlights. I need to be able to do the pop-up celebrations. Yeah, dude. So. You need to be able to do that for your next one. <laughs> I do. I do. So that, that oh, that's just gone to the top of my list. Good. That makes <laughs> me happy. Uh, well, I think, I think that's enough for today. I think there's a, a good little tech talk there. Yeah, a good little tech intermission, I suppose. Yeah, so. so. Yeah. Um, you know, these tech talks would be great for, um, or great opportunities for anybody who has any questions about setup or vehicle dynamics or any of that sort of nonsense. Yeah. Um, to, to, you know, I mean, tell us if you have a question and we'd be happy to answer. Yeah. So let us know through whatever means through all the the different socials, social networks, everything, uh, yeah, reach out to us. We'll we'll be listening. I mean, you know, we're we're just starting this, so right now it's really fair game for anyone. To, yeah, I mean, if you want a question answered, do it now before we blow up, yeah, son. Before we before there's it thousands. Too big. Yeah, there's thousands listening, but uh, for, for now, for the the, the one person <laughs> who made it to episode three. Yeah, if you made it all the way to episode three, I feel bad for you. I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> And uh, let us know if you have any questions. Yeah, so we'll we'll see what we can get into. You know, we're not experts on everything, but uh, really, we're not experts on anything. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll yeah, we'll we'll give our our two cents with uh, for for whatever's that that's worth. Yeah. So, so yeah, to next I think next episode we'll probably get into. We got the last Formula One race of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's coming up. And, you know, whatever else comes up, there's always some good stuff. So Always. Uh, so, yeah, till next time, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you later. Later. <laughs>